0: This podcast is offered by the San Francisco Zen Center on the web at sfzc.org. Our public programs are made possible by donations from people like you. Well, good morning, uh, uh, members of uh, uh, Green Gulch and uh, uh, anyone who is uh, gathered today. I'm so glad to join you. And, uh, well, I would like to uh, say some uh, uh, things about, uh, I was instructed, I think, to say some, some things about myself uh, to self-introduce, but also um, uh, some of the uh, upcoming activities that uh, uh, are surrounding this moment in our, our nation's history, when, uh, uh, these issues around uh, uh, race and religion uh, have been uh, come to, coming to the fore. So I hope I can uh, say a few words from uh, kind of dharma or Buddhist perspective about uh, these t- these subjects and uh, I'm also very curious to hear from all of you uh, in our kind of dharma exchange uh, uh, during question and, and answer. So first I, w- I wanted to start with uh, a little bit of, uh, uh, who am I, and that to me is uh, actually a very Buddhist question, Uh, I think because all of us are in uh, Soto Zen uh, tradition, uh, we know uh, Zen Master Dogen's own uh, uh, words on this matter, he says, uh, to study the way, a Buddhist way, Buddha way, is to study the self. Uh, He follows that with, to study uh, the self, is to forget the self. Uh, and to forget the self is to be actualized by the 10,000 things and uh, to be actualized by 10,000 things is to drop off the body and mind of oneself and body mind of others and that uh, no uh, trace of enlightenment remains and this no trace continues uh, continuously or endlessly and so this is a very beautiful verses from uh, or stanzas from uh, the writing of uh, Zemas Dogen and when I was growing up this question of who am I uh, to study uh, myself and to study Buddhism uh, kind of came together uh, when uh, in my own family background uh, my mother's side of the family Japanese side was a very Buddhist family and my grandfather very like a Buddhist leader and then on my father's side who's uh, uh, from the UK, and he has now lived in Japan for over 60 years, I guess. But, um, uh, you know, he's British and so uh, Anglican or the Church of England. So I would, growing up, go both to Buddhist temple and also to uh, St. Albans Church in Tokyo, which is an Anglican church. And so fairly soon, you know, in teenage kind of years, I think it's not uncommon for people who come from a multi-racial or multi-ethnic or multi-religious family to question like, like who am I, (laughs) you know? Am I I Japanese or am I British? Am I uh, uh, Buddhist or am I Christian? Am I, you know, this kind of question of identity. And so for me, more than Christianity, uh, when I was a teenager, I became very Drawn to the Buddhist tradition, in part because, you know, we sometimes in Japanese way we call it chudo or, or middle way. But somehow I felt that on this question of identity, Buddhism had a very flexible uh, way uh, that uh, somehow how should we say respected uh, in betweenness or respected uh, not having to. Uh, have only one essential identity. And so I would come to learn, I think I, my entry into Buddhism was be through learning about, oh, okay, the self is neither permanent nor you know, independent from everything else, but it's actually interdependent and always dynamically shifting and changing. And that felt more in line with my own experience growing up and so I became to be more drawn to the Buddhist tradition uh, than to the Christian uh, uh, tradition. And uh, eventually I came to meet uh, my teacher. I was maybe 20 years old and I, I met my, the person who'd be me, my ordination teacher. And uh, I grew up in Tokyo, but uh, partially in some parts of the area in, in a place called Nagano, Nagano Prefecture. They had the... Japanese alps kind of mountainous place they had the winter olympics there many years ago so this is a place i grew up in my small town in nagano uh, i think population is about nine thousand people so small town and then big city tokyo that was my life and in nagano my teacher has a temple uh, called kotakuji temple and when i i remember when i was first meeting with him he said you know okay, you're interested in the." Uh, uh, Buddhism and interested in pursuing more deeply. Uh, one thing you should recall is that uh, to be the Buddhist uh, person, you should be uh, you should be free. Free person. Your mind should not have to get stuck anywhere. So if you think you are British, or if you are stuck on the idea, I am Japanese, then that's like getting stuck in, in some attached to one one side or another side and he said we in buddhism we do something called like a samadhi of the mind that is freely moving and can you do that or do would you like to enter that so i said yes i'd like to try and a few maybe two years later i finally got the courage to say i would like to become you know pursue more and become a buddhist uh, priest and then I think many of you, you you know this type of situation where a Zen teacher says something like this, like, uh, well, you have been saying you want to become a Buddhist priest. And uh, do you even, in fact, know what it means to become a Buddhist priest? This kind of question, you know, uh, you don't want to answer strangely. Uh, So I I, I just said, uh, I don't know, please tell me. So now he has to tell me something. And uh, so he, he said, well, when you become a Buddhist priest, you will have no more holidays. That was his, the, first, the first and main thing he said to me. And it is, initially, he said it in Japanese, you will have no more holidays. And he explained, you know, uh, when you put the robes on, when you become a Buddhist priest and you have robes and you take on that identity, it means how can I help you? To everyone else, and so when you are at the temple, especially this temple in Nagano, you know it's a parish temple. Has about eight hundred family members, and uh, if uh, one of the parish uh, or temple, you know, membership uh, uh, people come to you, let's say eight p.m. at night, and they're very worried about the, their child uh, in junior high school uh, who's been uh, anxious about passing their whatever the consultation is. He's like, you can't say our temple closes at this hour and it's too late for you to talk to me. So he said, you will have no more of something called your time. Uh, you will you, you have no more holiday. Everyone else gets Sunday off or weekends, uh, we, you know, Obon period in Japan or New Year's, holiday for everyone. It's the busiest time at the temple. So he said, given all of this, would you still like to become a Buddhist priest? So I said, yes, I would still like to become Buddhist priest. And his answer was, well, then you must make every day a holiday. And that part he said it in English. And I think what he meant, you know, over the years I had to mull that over, but uh, I think he said it in English because, you know, on the one hand it means there is no day that is not a holy day or sacred day. Uh, it's not like the Christian way of like, what you set aside one day or Islam, you know, Friday prayer, like every day is a, is a holy day. But also it means also, I think, however busy you are, you become in your life, if you have the right mindset, you know, there, we, when we were growing up as kids in Japan, there was a cartoon, TV cartoon show called Ikkyu-san. Uh, it's about the famous uh, Zen, uh, medieval Rinzai Zen master Ikkyu. Ikkyu means one ik, one Ikkyu rest. It's like one big holiday. Yeah. So that's the kind of mind we need for the for the to become Buddhist priest. Very busy, but in that busyness, we have some very s- still point and also uh, kind of uh, uh, free mind. Where we can we can be on holiday, uh, uh, relaxed uh, in the most busy, stressful times. Uh, that's our our type of uh, practice uh, for for the priests, and so uh, that's how I became. I was twenty-two, I guess, when I was uh, became. I'm fifty, almost two uh, this year. But uh, so about thirty years ago, I became uh, uh, involved in Buddhist way. Uh, and uh, you know, over the years, I've thought about this question of identity. And uh, there is a question uh, inside of people who study these type of topics uh, from a, say, multiracial perspective, people who have two languages, background, or, or cultures, or something like that. And they say there are four main patterns that people who have this type of thing uh, Uh, situation in their karmic uh, makeup have to deal with or tend to tend to lean towards so uh, they say some people lean towards essentialist identity so that's the idea that you know i may be all these things but essentially or foundationally i'm x and so people kind of pick and choose one thing to kind of that's one way that some people deal with multiplicity other people deal with it situationally so sometimes we call it code switching, but like when I'm in Japan, I think I may act a little bit differently when I'm in United States, uh, even though my wife is always making fun of me. I, 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 I'm on the phone with some people in Japan and apparently I'm bowing on the phone and like my voice chain, modulates and according to the honorific, and, and then she's like, they can't see you uh, <laughs> doing the phone call, but somehow I'm kind of like situationally, my identity, my manners, etc. shifts and changes. I think this is a fairly common thing too. And then integrational, like uh, a third way is people say, well, I don't like to have a different kind of self I present in different situations and circumstances. I like to just be myself or have a integr- self that is fully integrated and I present one integrated uh, thing in any kind of so that's another kind of way to think about it and then fourth one is transcendentalist you know like uh, like to trans- like British Japanese Buddhist like these are all artificial categories so I'm going to identify with something more transcendent like I'm a human being or something like that what I realized is that is all kind of different ways of leading into this question of who am I and uh, somehow I used to think very much like, oh, the Buddhist one is uh, situational because you know we have a free mind, we can adapt and be free, you know. But then I was like, oh, but you know, we're also very hybrid re- religion. We we don't we 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 know the multiplicity and and hybridity uh, and kind of integrating that and not being worried or. Afraid of that's all. Oh, so maybe that's the Buddhist. Oh, but no, maybe it's. Through, I think over the years I've come to know. Now that I've lived five decades, we can live all of these in different moments of our phases of our life, and and uh, not be so stuck on anything like this either. And uh, somehow this is also um, how should we say if we study like. Tozam's five ranks or any, anything in our tradition in Soto Zen Buddhism, we also know things about positions and and, and uh, not that one is higher than the other, but these are all kind of ways of, 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 of being in the world and become a little bit less uh, worried about this, these type of questions of identity. But, and now I want to shift over to more, less about my personal history and more about where we are as a nation in America today um, because I think there is a big question of identity of our nation uh, that uh, we are facing today. Uh, There is one vision that says America is essentially foundationally a white and Christian nation that it's a therefore has a kind of singular or even supremacist kind of you know there's only one way to salvation one way one identity of an, that kind of idea. It's, very, it's a certain kind of vision that uh, we see throughout the course of our nation's history and we hear about, hear about it um, uh, to this day. But there's a different vision of America, which I think is a more Buddhist one, which says that America is multiple, that we ha- we're a multi-ethnic nation and religiously plural one. And quite frankly, to be a religiously free nation to actually manifest and actualize the notion of religious freedom written into the US constitution we actually have to presume multiplicity. And so I wanna talk a little bit about that the idea of multiplicity and what can we say about who we are as a nation our identity from a Buddhist point of view And I say this in the context of uh, the ceremony that uh, I'm trying to help put together for May the 4th. It's the 49th day, I'm sorry. Yeah, May the 4th is 49 days since the March Atlanta uh, shooting. Unfortunate incident, eight people uh, dying in a mass shooting targeting uh, Asian uh, massage uh, parlors and, and six of the people that died were Asian uh, women. And I think of Young uh, Aiyue who is uh, one of the women who passed away, very devout Korean Buddhist uh, uh, practitioner and uh, who, uh, uh, how should you say, it's not, it was very sudden unexpected way to pass away. And uh, her two sons, uh, very much in, uh, in uh, mourning right now. And so we would like to do something for the family on the 49th day, you know, in Buddhist tradition, 49th day is the day we believe where that where the deceased person kind of transitions or uh, journeys to a different realm. And so we mark that uh, for the person, but also for those remaining. That's uh, the tradition of 49 days uh, memorial service. But it's also in the context, you know, not just of that death, but I think because you all live in San Francisco Bay Area early this year, you must have known uh, in the news, there was also a, you know, security camera footage of a kind of video of uh, Vicha Ratanapakti who was Thai, you know, Buddhist uh, immigrant uh, in this country who just walking taking a daily walk and uh, on the streets of San Francisco and he was just uh, just a very senseless uh, unprovoked uh, just assault uh, on him uh, and he unfortunately died of brain hemorrhage uh, shortly thereafter uh, and the Thai community Thai Buddhist community kind of rallied around the family and uh, helped with that but these type of incidents, and of course, in my own neighborhood here in Los Angeles, uh, you know, my temple Zenshuji is one of several uh, temples, and Buddhist temples in Little Tokyo in downtown Los Angeles, and one of our neighbor temples, uh, Higashonganji Buddhist Temple, uh, was uh, vandalized. Uh, uh, stone lanterns outside were destroyed. Uh, somebody tried to set the temple on fire. This follows on the heel of last, you know, uh, November, there was a one month period, a spate of six incidents at six different Vietnamese Buddhist temples in Orange County, uh, vandalized where, for example, some of the statues were black, you know, spray paint and graffiti. Uh, Some people put Jesus on the back of the statue and things like this. So, you know, sometimes it's race and sometimes it's religion, but uh, there, is a, there is a vision of America sometimes that uh, excludes the people uh, on this type of basis. And uh, it's not just exclusion in terms of law or policy, but exclusion in terms of, you know, just community manners, verbal harassment, physical assault, uh, desecration of houses of worship, just a very unfortunate times we we live in, and uh, what's happening to you know our grandparents, you know the elders, Asian American people, just being able to go outside and take a walk. These type of things are very worrying, and it, it's also a time when you know we just had Derek Chauvin trial and Dante, you know there's so many incidents, unfortunate in African American communities, all these different communities where. Uh, sometimes uh, things, stereotypes that people inherit or uh, the type of uh, racial trauma and racial uh, karma that we uh, inherit in our very own minds and bodies, whoever we are, uh, sometimes just uh, because they're unattended to come out. And... uh, I've been thinking a lot about how to repair this type of, you know, it's one thing to try to do some fundraising for Higashi Honganji and repair the stone lanterns, but how do we repair our hearts and minds, uh, our bodies uh, in, in America? Because it doesn't matter how many laws are passed, how, if we do not deal with this very deep karmic seeds that uh, in different kinds of bodies, persist um, and do the deep kind of work of racial reparation, that kind of deep work of repair, um, unfortunately, we're going to see these type of incidents occur again and again and again. Uh, Judy mentioned I wrote a book um, called American Sutra about what happened to the Japanese-American community back in World War II. Uh, The Buddhist priests were targeted by the FBI Uh, Temples were under surveillance. Uh, uh, Priests got picked up. You know, today we don't think of Buddhism as an American or anti-American. At that time, it was literally thought of as a threat to national security or religion. And so temples were vandalized then. Priests were uh, put into special internment and concentration camps. The entire community was eventually rounded up and put into different camps. They were told when they enter these camps that they could only take what they could carry. So if you can imagine, if your government suddenly tells you you're deemed a threat to national security because of your race or religion, and then you have to head to a place for a destination unknown for a time indefinite, and you're allowed to take one suitcase, what do you take? And when people arrived, you know, with what they could carry, the, those suitcases, they were told, it's like entering a prison, they search for contraband and they deemed anything written in Japanese, like a sutra book would be considered a contraband. Uh, you'd think maybe like, okay, guns are understood, maybe because they worry about time of war and espionage and sabotage, like maybe cameras, but why would a book of haiku poetry or a sutra book be considered such a threat? What they allowed was if you had an English, Japanese, dictionary, that was permissible when you went into these camps, uh, it could be, even if it had Japanese language in it. And then the second exception was if you had a Japanese language Christian Bible, that was also okay. So what is the message that people received back then uh, when they went into these camps, horse stables, and other places that um, were you know, suddenly their new homes? Uh, the message, I think, was that, foundationally, America is a Anglo-Christian nation, you know, Anglo in the, both in the sense of whiteness, but also in the sense of English only, and a Christian, you know, essential nature nation, and that if they intended to convert to Christianity or learn English, that was deemed more acceptable. But for those of us who may be bilingual or who uh, uh, are immigrants and and have a culture and and so forth um, and a religious faith that is not Christian that was deemed at that time you know not not uh, not only un-American but anti-American and so I I I I think about these things about how that past is connected to today you know how for example our first Asian Americans. Uh, when they arrived, the Chinese arrived in large numbers in the middle of the 19th century and they set up temples. The first Buddhist temples in America were this community's temples. And they were also vandalized and uh, burnt to the ground. And there are many incidents of uh, massacres of Chinese miners at Buddhist temples in Wyoming. Like this is all happening in 19th century. It's part of our history. And, and, you know, they were called the heathen chini. It was like a slur word. Uh, The chini being like a a racially unassimilable group and heathen, meaning of a non-Christian, uncivilized religion. That's what was used in debates and testimony in the United States Senate when they were passing the 1881 Chinese Exclusion Act, which was the first immigration, federal immigration law. Up until that time, people came to America from Europe, you know, every part of the world. They didn't need visas or they didn't need uh, uh, any kind of special. Uh, people just came and America was welcoming to different people of different backgrounds. But this is the first law that began the whole process to target one group of people because of their religion, because of their race and national origin as unwelcome in America, and, and I think as you know, in recent years, we have similar kind of, you know, the travel ban. It doesn't hurt, you know, just like the World War II internment executive order, 9066, doesn't have the word Japan or Japanese American anywhere in the executive order. Everyone knows that or there was no mass roundup of German Americans or Italian Americans in America in, during World War II, despite being at war. It only targeted Japanese. Same thing with travel ban. It was a it was a it was a way to target one group, the Muslim uh, uh, kind of religion, as being unwelcome. And on the southern border, talk of a wall to keep out this kind of almost like an invading caravan of 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 migrants. It was a very similar language as uh, back in eighteen eighty one, when that first immigration law, the Chinese Exclusion Act, was held. They it literally talked about building a symbolic uh, uh, wall on the Pacific to keep the Chinese out. So this is our legacy in our country, unfortunately. We have all of these things that in different generations our ancestors uh, are involved in. And we, unfortunately, uh, we receive everything. All the wonderful things from our ancestors, but all of the imperfections too. And uh, last year, in June, I became a uh, US citizen. Uh, I, I came to this country when I was 17 years old. Um, and uh, for 30, you know, three years, I, I, I uh, or th- more, I, 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 re- I remained a Japanese national and uh, Uh, But somehow I felt this is time to become a citizen. And I went in my robes to the uh, naturalization oath ceremony. Somehow I wanted to remember all of the people, Chinese people, Japanese people during all these different decades of our American Buddhist history who uh, persevered and struggled found in their own teachings of Buddhism and their practices some way to be resilient. And I remember thinking, it's good to do the naturalization oath to defend the constitution of the United States. The first, you know, amendment, such an important statement of the values of what it means to be a citizen of this country, uh, you know, especially Due process, equality under the law, uh, and religious freedom, that it would be honor to my ancestors, Dharma ancestors, and others who who re, you know persisted in, 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 in their faith, not only in Buddhism, but in, in the promise of America. And so uh, I wanted to do something like that uh, uh, and become a citizen in that manner. And so In a few days we have this 49th day um, service and uh, we will be doing a part of the ceremony you know it's like a regular memorial service we have memorial tablets and we'll be recalling names and uh you know typical way we i think you must do also you know chant the sutras we have echo or dedication verse and we name names right so we, we transfer any kind of positive merit that comes from our sutra recitation to our ancestors, and then they in turn become present and I think teach us something. And uh, I think what they teach us uh, is something about repair. And I think I wanna kind of talk a little bit about that. We're going to have a beautiful ceramic lotus flower But one that has some cracks in it. In the Japanese kind of ceramic tradition, maybe some of you may be already familiar, but uh, we have a practice called repair practice called kintsugi. Kim means gold, and tsugi comes from the verb tsugu to, to join. And so, in classic tradition, if you have a beautiful tea ceremony cup and you drop it and breaks, or a plate that Instead of throwing it away, you can repair it with a lacquer resin and join it back together. And then you add a king or gold kind of paint on top of those crack lines. And what does that mean? It's a type of uh, record of the history of this teacup, a history of some breakage fissure. And in our nation, we have this too. And we're gonna symbolize it with this ceramic lotus flower. And we're going to take a note of who we are as a nation, the various traumas and hurts and suffering and these fractures that have unfortunately happened in our communities. And we're going to note them, fix them, uh, heal them, and mark them in such a manner uh, where we can do it not, how should we say, individually, but as a Sangha. And so our event is called May We Gather. Uh, it's, a, it's a call for Sangha, because when we are in mourning or when we are hurting, uh, I think the Buddha taught us, and this is kind of going back to identity, you know, uh, when you learn who you are, you can let go Forget you know the self. You can let go and be actualized by the ten thousand things. It's a ten thousand things. Just code word for everything, uh, right? We are interlinked together, interlinked with all of our ancestors. And and when we come together at sangha, we, it's such an important treasure, three treasure. You know, such an important treasure for us because uh, we we don't. Suffer alone, uh, but we also don't don't get the freedom alone. We we need to do it uh, together. <clears throat> so maybe I will end with. Um, I started with Dogen, so I should probably end with some uh, something from Dogen too. You know uh, about uh, what we need to come together as a sangha. I sometimes think of um, Dogen's text Tenzo Kyoku. You know, I'm sure many have read this one, uh, Instructions to the, uh, you know, monastic uh, cook, and um, it has so many, uh, uh, you know, practical teachings and uh, things, uh, attitudes that uh, the person serving in the position of tenzo or the head cook of the of the temple should uh, be aware of, um, you know, things like don't waste anything of you know the foods and and so forth. But uh, I think maybe big picture, it's uh, cook should know what is uh, what's in the kitchen, what's what's the ingredients that we have available, and then you make a meal not just for yourself for all the Sangha members, uh, all the trainee monks, et cetera. And then you make it uh, not just for physical nourishment, but for their practice, you know, to do the practice well. Uh, We have that kind of spirit to to join the cooking ingredients to help the people. So, you know, the kitchen, of course, is is ourselves. We have to look, who are we? And we have to see the ingredients, even the rotting cabbage or something. <laughs> you know, we all have pers- parts of our personality, parts of our things that, you know, our ancestors didn't resolve. So we, we have it in our own mind and body. But it is, we have to embrace, it. you have to know it all, right? And then good cooks can cook the things, you know, uh, with... Uh, Nice ingredients, but uh, Zen cooks, we have to cook with uh, even not nice ingredients, we have to still cook something that is uh, worthy. And so uh, It is, I think, with our nation, we have to kind of embrace it all, we have to have a reckoning with even the most difficult or traumatic or ugly parts of our history. Uh, And figure out a way as Sangha to transform it. Uh, as I said, I don't think we can do it alone. It's gonna require everybody. And that's how we uh, how we alleviate the mountain of suffering. Uh, it's such a big mountain, uh, ocean of tears, but we need to do it uh, together. And I think that is the, the meaning of Sangha. And I hope uh, uh, on this 49th day moment for thinking about, Atlanta and everything else that's been happening, uh, we can come together as a one big American Sangha to, uh, to to do the liberation together, alleviation of suffering together. So uh, maybe I'll end there and then uh, uh, have, a, I know there's a closing verses and then uh, very happy to be in the Dharma exchange or dialogue with, all of you uh, question and answer. Anything is fine. So thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by the San Francisco Zen Center. Our programs are made possible by the donations we receive. Please help us to continue to realize and actualize the practice of giving by offering your financial support. For more information, visit sf zc.org and click giving. May we fully enjoy the Dharma.